always thought that therapy was just completely inaccessible. And I had all of the classic, like too expensive. I travel too much for work. I can't do weekly sessions. I'm not in the same place every week. And I wasn't having anything that was like debilitating. I was still able to walk through my normal life. Didn't realize what was happening though. What is up, skaters? Welcome back to another episode of Vent City. This is like something in the 30s. I don't know. Ted's not here because he's <laughs> looking for a stray dog that's running around his backyard. Um, tonight on the pod, we've got Kristen Ebling. What's up? We've got Alex White. Hi. <laughs> that was great, Jewish? Alex. <laughs> Hi. Shalom. And we've got a, a, a special guest with us. As of just today, we, we kind of swung this, but uh, Ashley Refield? Refield. Ashley. <laughs> Did I do that right? <laughs> Almost. Okay. What's Ashley. up, everyone? My name's Ashley Refield. Ashley, where are you joining us from and, uh, and what's your background? Uh, longtime listener, first time caller. Calling in from San Francisco, the inner sunset, and my background, uh, lifelong skateboarder, and had the pleasure of working in skateboarding for the last few years and just started a new job with Deluxe. So that's been pretty cool. Wow, awesome. Yeah, so we we actually did record another episode, but uh, after the tragic news of Henry Gartland, uh, just heartbreaking stuff. Really just, you know, it's been a brutal last year for a lot of people, and I don't know about you, but that news hit me really, really, really fucking heavy. Um, and it just, you know, uh, everybody, but especially young people, I feel like are at such a crisis point right now and just feel like they're in free fall and there's so little to kind of keep them stable. And, uh, you know, we're just having a, a bit of a, a mental health crisis. And so I thought that it would be nice to just record an episode and talk about some mental health interventions and, you know, what therapy looks like for people and also ways that people can kind of build discipline and structure in their lives that that can help them through, you know, these trying times. So I guess we could just start there, you know, and and, and uh, see, see where we go with it. Yeah, definitely. I just want to jump in and say, like, I just echo your sentiments. Um, I didn't know Henry personally in any way, but it's just it is so heartbreaking when you just see someone that's so successful in such a bright shining light and clearly like such a positive person and just like really friendly and welcoming. I just kept seeing that over and over again and folks, um, the posts that they were making about him. And I just, um, that's just something that doesn't, not all skateboarders are going to be the person that's going to say hi to the little kid, you know? And I was just seeing that over and over again that he really didn't have an ego or anything. So just wanted to throw that out there just into our community if there's anything you can do in a positive way to live at least a little bit of that energy or on that level, um, definitely go out and do that. Be that friendly, awesome person like he was. Yeah, just a, a, a fearless Minnesota skater, you know, it just shows in all of his clips. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, on behalf of our show, we just want to extend the deepest condolences to the friends and family of Henry. Um, it, again, it's just such a such a huge loss. I just feel like every skater that gets taken from us and they're happening in 
quicker in succession. It's just it just is such a blow. Like I don't I don't know what to say, but it's it's really tough. Alex, did you did you know Henry a little bit, or you had some interactions with him? Yeah, I work for NHS, and Henry rode for a bunch of the brands. And one thing that always stood out about Henry is he is a kid. I mean, he was 21 years old, and he was an energetic, super enthusiastic young skater that spanned like this little generation of like the Minions crew in Santa Cruz, and then being like an actual pro um, for Santa Cruz, which he was actually slated to turn pro uh, in March. Like this was all coming down the line for him. He had the his entire life ahead of him, and it's such a promising career. And to see, um, you know, him die by suicide. Uh, you know, just a few days ago was just uh, unfathomable, like unfathomable loss for the entire skateboard community. And uh, yeah, you you kind of left not knowing, um, you know, everybody like talks about like red flags or something like that, or they try to make sense of it. And I think we're all just trying to like grasp at like why and how this happens to people and where they get into a place like that. Yeah. I mean, it it really strikes me that that people are just can be really hidden with their interior thoughts, you know. Um, I, I think that Tim maybe pointed out to me that there were people who were like, "Oh, great skating with you today," like the day that it happened. And yeah, just sometimes you know, red flags are are non-existent. They don't, you know, even the kind of economic futures or, like you said, he was going to turn pro. Um, that even that doesn't factor into it sometimes. Yeah, and I think our intention with this episode is just to provide some insight into our experiences and hopefully that will, you know, help people in some type of way either feel validated in their path or inspire them to take any action that could support their personal mental health or that of like folks that are close to them. Um, I just am seeing just social media so classic in this way. Like I see a lot of people being basically throwing out the like, you know, my condolences really need to check in on your friends, super well-meaning, but a little bit empty. Um, and then I see other people going on and being like, it's not just thoughts and prayers. You really need to do X, Y, Z. And there's just like this atmosphere of like everyone just sort of responding in this kind of stressful way. And so our intention tonight is like, to share our own personal experiences and try to be as helpful as possible and not operate from a place of shame, but operate from a place of possibility. So I'm really excited to like get into it and, and share with some realness and some vulnerability. So yeah, thanks everybody that's listening right now. So Ashley, uh, I mean, you, you mentioned earlier today to Kristen that, you know, this is a, a topic that's near and dear to you and that you'd, you'd maybe want to share some personal experiences with us. Yeah. Kristen and I were talking today and we were just talking about how this subject matter just keeps reappearing within the skateboard community. I mean, it's universal outside of that. I lost my father uh, to suicide six years ago, and uh, he had a lifelong struggle with depression, and it ended in that way. And so it's a very close subject matter to me, but more so seeing all of the check-in on your friends and here's a suicide hotline number. I wanted to kind of help address some other great ways to combat it, which was talking about therapy and starting there. Uh, and getting help in that way. So we started talking about how there's so many obstacles to that kind of help and that just the hotline number isn't the solution and sometimes even the best route to go because it can lead to services that show up at your doorstep that aren't uh, mental health caretakers for crisis. They're 
sanctioned by the city cops that show up and can turn into a whole other crisis matter. So I wanted to share some light on that and then just led to this really cool conversation that we we're having about therapy as being like a really great map to recovery and to help and to balancing out whatever it is that you're struggling with. And um, that's how I ended up here on the show tonight. <laughs> so we're stoked to have you and thanks for sharing um, so vulnerably. Yeah, I know that it's it's just really tough to, to put it all out there. I really appreciate that. Um, Okay, so we talked a little bit about this in the past, um, you know, like the different types of everyone's relationship with therapy. I, I actually wasn't on that episode. And personally speaking, uh, I've never sought out a therapist. And there's lots of reasons why I never have done that, even though I've at many times have needed to. Um, but I guess maybe we could just do a walkthrough of, of the different types of, of therapy that people have gone to, what the that process looks like, you know, what has been the the impulse for it, what has been a barrier to it, and maybe kind of jump off from there. For me, I go to, I guess, just like pretty classic. Like if you've seen um, The Sopranos, like Tony Soprano style, where, you know, you're just sitting there on the couch and you're talking to somebody. It's about an hour long, that whole thing. Um, I'm definitely like a verbal processor, so it was kind of naturally appealing to me. Um, and But yeah, my therapist is like super warm and very doesn't like talk a whole ton, like really just gives me a ton of space to share about whatever is on my mind. Um, and sometimes, or at least at first, I would go in and I would just like be crying and like it would it would feel like a, a new wound, you know, when I went in and, and came out and it, you know, but over time, I guess it more felt like my wound was getting cleaned out. It hurt, but I needed to unpack a lot of things and now that I've been going for a while I cry a lot less I'd say and it hits me a lot less hard it uh you know definitely like brightens my moods now I'd say um makes me feel really balanced yeah and I go like every three weeks at the start I went a lot more regularly I think like once a week or something like that um but yeah as I my I guess consider it sort of like manic in a way sometimes I was really up really down right now it feels more in the middle which is good um the highs and the lows are closer together um feeling more stable I kind of stepped back and stopped going as much but I still think it's important for me to go um yeah Alex do you want to share a little bit about what you do to keep up your mental health yeah sure I'm happy to share um so I come from a family where everybody's either an actor or a therapist uh, so half my family, so traditional psychotherapy has been really like prevalent in my family. I've been going on and off since I was six years old. Um, and I found that psychotherapy like helped me in some ways, especially when you're dealing with like, um, for me personally, like acute crisis. And then uh, I started going to program uh, first for Al-Anon, which is there's two kinds of um, fellowships. Or there's a lot of fellowships, but the main two that you hear about are AA and Al-Anon. And Al-Anon is the one for families of addicts, which almost every family I know has somebody that has substance abuse problems in it. And um, I just found that Al-Anon and group, because it's, I mean, it's such a, um, you know, it's such a fair organization. You don't have to pay anything if you can't afford it. Um, like pamphlets and reading material are free, and it's a group of peers that runs it. So it's just this very, um, I don't know what the word is, civil, but it's just... Uh, you know, it's there's no barrier to entry for it. So you can walk into a room, you can find a meeting, and uh, you can hear experience. What is it? What is the word I'm looking for? 
Very organic. Yeah, yeah, it's very organic and very um, accessible. So, um, yeah, experience, strength, and hope through Al-Anon has really gotten me through um, like years of uh, pain around. Uh, my husband was an addict and suicidal and homicidal at points, and uh, my ex-husband. And uh, dealing with that and um, my codependency and all the issues that I was having and that I still have, uh, I really find there's a lot of good maintenance in those rooms. And you hear a lot of stories. And for me personally, hearing other people's stories uh, and how they dealt with it and hearing that they're also human and they're making mistakes um, makes me feel better and helps with my personal story and healing too. So, yeah, for me, I think... Um, Although psychotherapy is great, uh, I find that groups uh, just hit it for me better. <laughs> it hit different. It hit different. Yeah, I wish <laughs> them <laughs> groups. <laughs> I, I definitely, you know, like uh, all U.S. families uh, have a history of mental illness in my family. And I always found it really disorienting when people would, would kind of share that like, oh, you know, alcohol, drug abuse, uh, mental health, depression, like all this runs in my family. But that really is just a symptom of living in the U.S. in the you know the 21st century, um, unfortunately. And I I mean I personally kind of have found some comfort in understanding that this is a this is a symptom of the economy that we live in, you know, and that this is a uh, almost by design and is kind of a way. Uh, it's it's something that we really need to to kind of need to figure out how to live in this world, right? And <laughs> that we're constantly. Uh, running up against on a daily basis. Um, Ashley, I mean, what what is uh, what has your experience been with going to therapy? A lot of obstacles, a lot of stop, a lot of go, a lot of stop again, a lot of go. Um, for me, I've had kind of my whole history of a lot of instability within my childhood. So there was a lot of like trauma moments. But then, as I referenced earlier, about six years ago, I had these two very significant incidents happen back to back. And uh, in therapy, they formed a big T trauma and little T trauma. So I've had tons of little T trauma. And then I had these like two kind of like unfortunate moments where um, three days before my 25th birthday, I lost my father to suicide. Four months later, I lost my best friend to uh, homicide, to gun violence. Um, and I was with him before the incident happened. So I went from being in a medical examiner's office to getting a plastic bag with my dad's last possessions in it to then sitting in a homicide detective's office that looked like a CSI white walled room with a recorder on the table and two cops sitting there telling me like what was going on and what they needed from me uh, because it was under um, investigation. So a four month time span from suicide to homicide was pretty traumatizing. Uh, and I didn't really address any of it for six years. And I just started unpacking that process. So I kind of went into a compartmentalize it. It's sad. That's unfortunate those tragedies happen, but you have to like take care of yourself, work and keep going on. And um, always thought that therapy was just completely inaccessible. And I had all of the classic, like too expensive. I travel too much for work. Um, I can't do weekly sessions. I'm not in the same place every week. So I had like, and I wasn't having anything that was like debilitating. I was still able to walk through my normal life. Didn't realize what was happening though. There were a lot of debilitating moments and I did not see how it was flooding myself and uh, my personal relationships whatsoever. So I started um, getting into these pattern oriented like fires that I'd create for myself. And I was like, 
I'm really tired of showing up this way. I obviously need to start like addressing this in therapy. And then, then I started the process of, I don't even know where to go for therapy. I know I needed more than just traditional talk therapy, you know, just chatting uh, about day-to-day surface level stress. I know I needed to address like trauma stuck points. And that was like a whole other kind of scope. So long journey to figuring out the language of just trying to shop for a therapist. Uh, if only finding a therapist was like trying to go buy a house and, you know, you hit up Alex White, you call her on the phone and uh, you, you, you tell you tell the real estate agent what you're looking for. And you say, this is my budget. And these are kind of the things I'm interested in shopping for. And then they get back to you and say, I found you all of these great houses. If only we had therapist broker, um, it'd be so much easier for me. I went into the vortex that is psychology.com or psychology today, I think it is. And you get to go on this website that's so clunky and archaic and you get these thumbnail photos of, you know, hundreds of therapists and they have these like enlightened descriptions about how much better life can be or like, do you find this journey really hard and challenging? And they're just all clunky and cringeworthy. And it, for me, was like such a deterrent too. And so then you just get exhausted by that process. And then you finally decide, okay, I'm going to actually start writing therapists and reaching out. And then you get rejection emails saying, sorry, I'm too busy. And so for every 12 emails you send out, you probably get two back that say they have availability. And that's a deterrent right there. It's so hard to get the process going and to stick with it and to be on the right path. And so often are you not doing it when you're not in crisis? More often you're like, oh, I need to address going to therapy because you had an episode happen or something that pointed you back in that direction and you forget that it takes about like two months to three months sometimes to really get it going it's rare that you decide to start the process of finding a therapist when you're in a good spot so for me it was a lot of stop go yeah I mean you kind of started to get into it but I think it would be kind of interesting to talk like you kind of alluded to it but like how did you know that you needed to go and like what kind of like support did you need or like the barriers that came up I think I mean, I'm down for you, Ashley, to keep on your train. How did you finally, because you said you had this six-year period, right? And I think that's going to be, that's going to resonate with some people, right? That have been just chilling with this backpack on forever. And finally, they're like, the shit is too fucking heavy. So, like, at what point did yeah. you know that you were just like, my back's going to break. I can't fucking hold this shit anymore. Like, what was that moment for like? Sure. And then, like, maybe just talk through, like, a little bit more detail of, like, some of the barriers and stuff. I think that'd be kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've always been able to just function with a lot of my stress. I think it's like a byproduct of my childhood and instability. But what I didn't, wasn't able to ever see is the way it was affecting like the people closest to me around me and how often the person I was in a relationship would be like my therapist or help me out of like a anxious and depressed episode. I also never understood that I suffer greatly from anxiety. I thought anxiety was something that it's because you're in a room full of people and you don't want to be around those people. Well, I love being around people. I have no problem being the center of attention. Um, The more people looking at me, the better. I'm like, this is great. I'm having fun. Uh, My anxiety, I did not realize was so much more emotionally triggered. And so I started seeing, I was like, this isn't any way to live. I'm uncomfortable and it's causing my relationships to fall apart that I really do want to maintain. And, Also, I was just in pain chronically and didn't know where to begin. So when I started looking for a therapist, it took a while because, again, I put up those two barriers that I was like traveling was making it not an option. And, you know, there's been some silver linings to this pandemic, which is telehealth. Uh, You can 
hop on now a Zoom call with a therapist and it's as connective as it would be when you're in person. And there's actually some benefits. You're at your house, you're in a safe yep. place. The therapy session wraps up and you're in your yep. space instead of having to like yep. get on your bike, skateboard totally. or car to get there. Uh, and now you can travel anywhere with your therapist, which it used to be like by state law, like totally not an option. And most therapists wouldn't grant that. And then financially, when I started looking into the kind of therapy I would need, that would be trauma focused therapy. That therapy costs a lot more money than traditional talk therapy. In fact, three times the amount. So an average appointment would be 80 to $90, a little over a hundred. This is like $250 a session required weekly. Uh, that's over a thousand bucks sometimes, you know, when you do all the math, um, I didn't add the math up, right? It's a thousand dollars. Um, I'm a skateboarder, not a mathematician. Right. People. Uh, that's not really a luxury most people have to throw out a thousand dollars a month. So that was another big, I can't, but then I got to a point where I was like, I also can't keep ending up here. And so I just kind of started working through all of my options and learning about, my symptoms and what vocabulary to use when shopping for a therapist. And I kept getting redirected to two forms of therapy, EM, uh, EMDR and CBT. CBT is cognitive processing therapy, or excuse me, cognitive behavioral therapy. EMDR is eye motion decentral. See, I'm not a therapist. Um, we can, Ted, you're going to have to edit that part out. Uh, EMDR is... Alex, you got this from your uh, family of therapists? Eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing therapy. <laughs> Thank you. That's that was lot. the part that I, I was having a hard time with that. It is a it lot to say. Like a club, I got caught up in the middle. Not. It is a club. Um, and what essentially all those two modalities are is they're reprocessing and rewiring your brain. You can learn new behaviors. Yeah. And specifically within CBT, there's like three axes of your emotions. It's like you have your emotions, your behaviors, and your thoughts, and they all go hand in hand. And when you change one of those variables, they all change together. Uh, the problem is when you're in crisis, usually you can't see the end of something. It's kind of like one melting yeah. pot of emotions taking over. And that's where I would get lost. And I would always want someone to kind of help me out of that space with reassurance but I didn't know that that's my job to do. And I just didn't have those skill sets. And when I'd get kind of lost in that darkness, all of those emotions would just be one big black emotion. And so now with EMDR and CBT, I'm able to learn how to find exercises in the middle of that process in that episode to be in that space to get myself out of there. And there's very specific exercises that a trauma therapist can help you with um, and teach you resourcing so you know what to do. Essentially, when you ha are in that fire, you have that fire extinguisher with you and it looks different. And it's so similar to skateboarding and learning a trick. You can learn like you're doing the trick wrong and your homie comes up to you and says, did you put your foot? If you put your foot right there and moved your shoulder right here, you could try it that way and you could actually learn the trick better. And then it takes a lot of practice but you keep doing it and you start getting closer to it. And then all of a sudden you finally like create that new, oh, that is how the trick yeah. works. You start to see it, you yeah. get closer and you do it and then it, it goes, but yeah, it takes a while and you have to just be open to that process. And um, Alex, you've told me this before and it's always stuck with me. It's like, sometimes I make the same mistake over and over again, but my awareness to it is part of the step. Yeah. And yeah. I think right now that's where I'm at in a lot of my therapy is my awareness to it. And then actually learning those resources to, the resource skills to uh, get myself to the next part of now rewiring my brain in those like 
anxiety moments. Yeah. Uh, did you ever at a certain point, did, did you feel like you didn't say this, but I'm just curious. Did you have a hang up around, well, if I go to therapy, then I'll make it a bigger deal than maybe it is, or that unpacking it would actually make you feel worse. Like since you're kind of in that maybe first step or kind of the earlier phases maybe of, you know, what you're embarking on, does it, does it actually feel much worse or like messy or uncomfortable or is it actually feeling okay now that you're stepping in? I'm just thinking for someone that hasn't made that move yet, like if you wanted to speak to that a little bit. Yeah, it's awkward, period. <laughs> it's totally an uncomfortable process. Um, I still can't see, like I do get a sense of relief after it, but I haven't really seen the bigger picture to stick with it yet. And I think they really start to, they say like, okay, you if you start therapy, you need to commit to four sessions, just minimum four. And uh, you can finally kind of see where it's going and see the relief that you're getting and build a relationship with that therapist. That you get in a room with someone that you talk, you get to control the environment and they don't tell you what to do either. So you have to be just really open to like listening to yourself in that space and learning how to connect to yourself, which is that the whole point, like at the end of the day, we're individuals and we need to connect to our center. And like this person's there to help us do that in a better way. And they're not going to tell us, like, give us a complete map to that. That's for us to figure out. When I finally got started on that journey, it took forever, full of emails, getting denied spot and a time and a price that would work. And then when I finally found someone, I started going, I made it to that four session Mark. And in that session, the therapist decided to be like, I think you should see someone else. And I was like, you sh I should see someone else. Like I have total abandonment oh, no. issues. And I'm like, my therapist is like breaking no. up with me and I'm in tears right now. What is going on? And uh, essentially, you know, in other words, like he was like, you brought a foreign car to me and I only fix domestic cars. I can't fix your car. I can take your money, but I'm not gonna be able to fix it. And I, he redirected me to a more specific trauma-focused therapist. So I had to start all over again. And I just started that process and found a new therapist. I had to take a break because it was so like jolting. But again, I encourage everyone. It's like, it's an awkward process. Sometimes the fit isn't right there. It takes forever to get involved in all of the right check boxes that you need to get, which is like, is someone's available? Do they fit your specs of what you're looking for? Do they fit your budget? And then you can start that process. But it's like four sessions being open to the process. Tang, thank you for sharing that. Ted, uh, you're just joining us. How, how did it go with the stray dog? <laughs> <laughs> Not to put you on the spot. Fucked up. Taylor is a hero of, of the canines, the felines, <laughs> and the maintenance guys. <laughs> So I'm back. I, I caught the I caught the the tail end of that, which was uh, pretty good, and mapped onto my experiences a little bit. Yeah. Do you want to share some of your experiences, Ted? Have you ever had a Have you ever had a mental health uh, issue? No. All right. Um, moving on. I was I, I was born into a sort of uh, three pronged stranglehold between cultish religions, and uh, and I came out of it like super good, and. Uh, uh, no, yeah. as one does when, yeah, yeah. It's just everything's been super awesome. Um, I like totally wasn't like a fail son until I was twenty nine. Yeah, so when I started going back to college, had a super hard time. Uh, was uh, really, you know, not really able to be a, a good partner and understand how to like love and be loved. And and I like you know basically broke down. ASU has like a huge, huge um, student 
health services center that's got like a whole therapy floor and it was fine but it was just like I like both needed to know that that I was capable of being loved while also struggling with like what do you mean the universe goes on forever what's on what's at the end of it now like what's like 10 feet past that I don't what are you talking about so it was like this kind of a really sticky situation between having really um, concrete personal issues and kind of like abstract philosophical crises. And so I went to a therapist and they basically were useless. And I was just super pissed and super bummed out. But again, this is the thing that I was talking about in the last show. Um, during that, I, I had, you know, Ryan was there at the time. Um, and I had, it, I have a huge network of support by being a skater. And so my ability to like continue to live and to thrive was kind of buoyed by the, the, the network of support that I had. Um, and that got me until I was about 30. Um, and it was probably a year before we started the show and just, yeah, total, um, a very serious breakdown. And I, and that's when I, I started after a, a severe episode, went to, went to a therapist for nine months and it, it was good. Um, but it was just too expensive and, and I wasn't able to kind of, it's hard to know what, what the source of your depression is when you have so many things working against you, which is like not only your upbringing, your makeup and your unfulfilling jobs, um, which I had a long string of. Um, and so, but she was able to basically get me out of a very severe, uh, depressive slump enough. So for, for my life to, to take hold. And that process was really painful and really shitty. I really don't recommend going on your lunch breaks. Cause that'll fuck your day up. I did that. Um, yeah. I would, I would yeah, also, yeah, I also started, started there too. I'm just going to squeeze this yeah, in that, here real quick. A little hot, hot yeah, tip. So I would <laughs> twice I made 11 o'clock and so I would go to work unfulfilling job stress emails, blah, blah, blah. Be like, okay, well I can't finish this. Cause I like have to go like work on me. <laughs> and then, uh, and then I would sit in a room, you know, basically be like, yeah, I don't know. I've got like, I have enough money to live and I've got great friends and I got a great family and, and a loving partner. And like, I hate the idea of waking up. And so it's like, you go into that mode and then she's like, all right, I think we made some progress. It's 12 o'clock. I'll see you next week. But I had a great time and, and I highly uh, support it. And, uh, and it's getting to the place where I'm, I'm stable, but not like that momentum that you feel while you're going through therapy. Um, that can start to wane if, if you don't, if you're not very vigilant about, maintaining your yourself like if you're like if you're catholic which uh i was and kind of still have the sensibilities of one it just it can't sustain so it's like you know after like three years of holding back every healthy emotion uh something you know to quote the mountain goats something here eventually has to explode so yeah it's it's a really good thing um the price is ridiculous um and and getting a new job is really helpful moving out of the postal industry into 
the the skateboard apparatus. I was going to say, moving but, into your the fourth prong of your uh, religious affiliations. <laughs> thrasher. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Church I'm, of Thrasher. I'm I'm well acquainted with the Bible. Um, Skating. So so those things, it's very. The the stickiest part of it was that. Um, and that I still struggle with, uh, even as I talk to you, Ryan, is that finding the source of your um, depression is is so plastic, and it, it's a constant moving target, and so it becomes very hard. Um, and the thing that becomes basically in 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 a crisis episode, I like I you don't want to burden the people that you love with more of your bullshit. And so yeah. it becomes, it becomes really hard to, to do the, like, you know, reach out or fucking, or like get help. And not everybody is lucky enough, but I have a, I have a, like a big, strong brother. He's like, he's like a man's man. And like, he doesn't cry. And he like, he popped his shoulder back into place when he dislocated it. Like, you know, he's like a, his name's Sterling. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and Sterling and Sterling Schmidt. Yeah. So he's, yep. Yeah. But Sounds you know like a I mean? wrestler. You know, Does that make you jealous? Six, six foot. He, he was he a wrestler, uh, but the high school kind, uh, he's also hot, uh, which doesn't do great for me. T- and Ted and I both have an affinity for uh, jock older brothers that, uh, yeah, kind of treat, yeah. treat us like so, little bros. And he's, he's very successful and like has, done the business of being, you know, kind of like a middle-class American, right? You know, he's got like one extra property and he, he works in an office and, and, you know, he's got three kids, does the whole thing. But regardless, basically I was super fucked up and, uh, and I had to call him and he was just like, yeah, dude, like I actually go to this therapist. And I was like, you can't go to a therapist. Cause you're like, you're a big, strong man. And, uh, and he was like, you know, without getting too personal, basically he had these these problems with stress from work and shit. So having not only the lifeline of 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 the person who needed to provide like direct support to me in in a crisis episode, but to also have that the vulnerability from somebody who I kind of relied on or or am tethered to for basic survival shit um, to have them kind of lower those gates and to connect those threads was very important for me. Um, the problem with that is that it's not, you can't build a, a system around that. You can't give everybody my older brother and you can't give those kind of complicated sets of circumstances to, um, to, to getting that. But yeah, that's been my experience. It's very good. Uh, I will be actually, as I said, returning to therapy um, in the next, uh, month or so because uh we got a lot to unpack over the last three years yeah i I wanted to just add for me like just you hearing from your older brother and him having gone to therapy and you being like what like i definitely had a similar experience around the same time that i was kind of curious about it but in the back of my mind i was like i have a good life i come from a like solid family like my older brother's present in my life same thing got a great partner there's a lot going for me, you know. If you look at my me on paper, yeah. you know I'm fine. Yeah. And I'm like, why Kristen, am I? Can we? Can we? Can I interject just to say the way that older people just tell you, "Oh, I'm not worried about you." You know, they they kind of look yeah. at your your circumstances and they're like, "I'm not worried about you." And inside, you're just thinking, "No, there's actually quite a bit to worry about. I'm just dealing with my own shit." <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Continue. Oh, for sure. And yeah, going off of that too, like I feel like I 
um, have always like struggled with like anxiety and depression since I was a younger kid. But like the way that I coped with it was adding like badges on me, like, oh, I'm doing this now, I'm doing that, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. <laughs> and like, everyone's like, oh, how do you keep up with yourself? How do you do all these things? And I'm like, dude, like the sad truth, which might make me cry right now, I might not, I don't know, I'm feeling it coming, um, is that I'm constantly trying to compensate or to show people that I'm worthy of something because inside, like, I'm, you know, that's not what I tell myself, you know? So it's, uh, yeah, I think that's like, it's funny because people will be like, dang, how do you do all these cool things? Wow, you're always killing it. And it's like, I'm only doing all this and running full sprint all the time and trying to do these things is because I might, I don't value myself. And so like, I think, feel inadequate. I think exactly. So yeah. hearing from other people in my life that they were going to therapy, other people I saw as my peers, they have their shit together. You know, here's a mom of some kids and she's, you know, killing it, single mom, making all this you know, money to support her family here over here. I got a friend that's got a successful job with the federal government doing amazing shit. They're always picking up new hobbies and just everyone loves them, you know, and them telling me they yeah. go to therapy. I was like, you know what? Like, I actually think this is something I should explore, you know? And then yeah. like, I felt really lucky that like this thing happened to me. Like someone blasted me on the internet basically. And coming from this place of like inadequate, inadequacy and like I'm not good enough and I don't have a right to exist in the spaces I exist in and just that you know imposter syndrome and all that and then someone just blasting me on the internet and seeing other people say stuff about me and that just like cut me down and uh yeah it just took me straight to suicidal ideation and all of that and so that was like when I asked my friend I was like hey like you know can you help me? And she was like, dude, I'll call my therapist right now and see if she's got appointments. And like, from there I just like slid right in and I've kind of been going ever since. Yep. And, uh, yeah, like, like I said before, like I definitely slowly kind of tapered off because I feel like I'm in so much more of a stable place. Um, but it's like, yep. I would definitely recommend people go before you get to a crisis. Cause I think it would have been a lot easier for me, even though, cause I even today I'm like, man, do I need to go? Like, I don't know. I'm feeling pretty good. Nothing bad happened this week. But every time I go, I find something I need to unpack. So just, you know, wanted to share with people. It's worth it. You're worth it. Um, definitely at least explore it. Yeah. Sorry. I'm, I'm like jumping in at a weird point. But the thing that I can say is, is really, really important is that like is to start like the work early because the the at the at the point that you have a, a severe episode, you know, they're, they're different for every mental illness, but those, those moments are really hard to catch. This is the issue is that intervention at the, at the moment of a, of an episode is like really effective. Like usually people who are trying to harm themselves or, um, or do other things, usually an intervention during that episode is, is really effective at, 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 uh, at, at avoiding suicide and, and other harm. And, uh, but it, that's like, that shit's so hard to catch because it, it's a, it's usually a private thing. So the, like the, the most important thing to do is like one, start that work super early. And then like, if at any point you get the kind of like inklings of those thoughts or of those like episodes showing whatever that situation is that you're in, like, obviously not everybody can like just leave and run away from whatever scenario they're in, but it's really important to just like immediately eject from the scenario if you can and to to be like yeah fuck it like i just got to go straight home 
or I got to go straight to my dog, my, you know, partner, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Cause those things go from like zero to 60 like that. Um, and so like recognizing the, the kind of the low hum of depressive fucking turning points or, or like that slippery slope. The most important thing is to avoid those really like gnarly crisis episodes. So just keep an eye out. You know, <laughs> I just was going to say, you know, Alex and I were talking about how, you know, how work functions and all this. And this seems to be a kind of a, a through line with everyone's conversation, which is that one, it's extremely disorienting when something like, how we were talking about, we found out about Henry Gartland and then it's just like, you just go to reading an email and going back to work and how do, you don't even have time to process this because again, the engine just keeps turning and, uh, yeah. and that can be really helpful because again, it helps you compartmentalize it and like stave it off. And, you know, as Kristen was talking about, it's, it is, uh, it is kind of at once an engine of self-improvement, but also it can be, uh, part of the 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 demise or the the blow up you know and uh what's interesting to me is that so much of of self-help and maintenance that is sold in the workplace is kind of let's be honest it's really just to make you a better worker you know um to make sure that uh you're you're a stable worker and that you're not going to have any sort of blow-ups and uh yeah, I don't know. It's just a really complicated relationship because I, I think for a lot of people uh, I know who are high performing, they pour themselves into their work like you do, Kristen and, and, and Alex, because it's easier than dealing with shit. It's easier than dealing with uh, kind of the, the real problems that are that are uh, that maybe you're hiding. Did, did you intro Marx's theory of alienation? Ryan covered it. <laughs> no. Yeah, can I speak to some of those barriers real quick? Some like trick tips yes, please on do. finding <laughs> a therapist. Because yeah. honestly, I really do want to make like top ten guy yeah. trick tips to finding a, a skateboard. Oh, it's therapist. on ten. Um, we got an article. Yeah. We love our cheesy. We, we love our cheesy skateboard analogies on this show. Mandatory. For, yeah. First off, find someone that's within your values, like what you're into. Um, like if you don't want a lot, oftentimes like people are afraid that they're going to get prescribed you know, medication and go down that route, you don't have to go down that yep. route. Yeah. You can totally, when you go into psychology today and look for a therapist and that really awkward clunky site that isn't your real estate broker, but it's all there for me, you can select lifestyle choices and you can put holistic healing. If you want someone with progressive views, I suggest identify LGBTQ. You don't have to identify that way, but if they offer that service, they probably are going to be a progressive therapist. Um, there's even more it, like lifestyle check boxes that you can go through. So that's just a start right there. You have to just keep seeing the process through because for each variable that I swear there's like a dead end that each road, the system's broken, it's fucking expensive. Even when you have insurance, your insurance tells you you need to go through the uh, internal hospital network and it turns out there's language that can help you get outside of that network, but they don't tell you any of these things. And so that Damn. requires you to get a referral from your general doctor to go to outside care. So it's like, it's very difficult to pull apart all the layers and to find your place in it. Um, and I wanna just provide a resource that makes therapy really cheap because it can go from a scale of like $80 to $250, but you can even get it lower than that. And uh, it's openpathcollective.org. And it's a really incredible database of therapists 
that you pay a one-time fee. It's a lifetime fee. It's $50, but it guarantees you the database the entire time that you have a username. And in that database, you can do the lifestyle choices to pick the therapist, but you can also um, pick your sliding scale. And it is met to where someone who is specifically looking for trauma-based therapy, which is what I'm doing, and it's very expensive, can go like, I can only do $30 a session. And in fact, I know someone who is on a $30 a session sliding scale. And that's so affordable. Again, this pandemic has a lot of silver linings for those that are fortunate to be experiencing those. And one, it's telehealth. And two, we finally figured out that we don't have to go out to dinner and spend money on food and drinks and entertainment. And that money can go right into your pocket and take care of prioritizing your mental health care. And it can be a bi-weekly thing. It can be what Kristen's doing, which is like every three weeks. Often to get the process started, they recommend just going like four sessions in a row and then figuring out a better schedule. But there's just so many ways to make it work if you're willing to use the resources at hand and to stick with the process because the process is going to tell you and redirect you. Ted, it sounds like you took a three-year break. Uh, it's it's not a... It's not an easy yeah. one. Big shout out to uh, Barbara. <laughs> <laughs> what up, Barbara? Caroline is shout my current therapist. Shout out to her. What up? I always ask people's therapists. I love it. But I just right, I get right into it. I'm like, how is talking with so and so, and like they become these. Also, like, how awesome is it to talk to someone that isn't oh in our lives? We don't have to wait. That was another thing that led me to therapy. Is I, I was just like flooding Dude. my partners with my problems and. Um, making it our problems and not having separation for that and not learning how to take care of my needs and my space. It's like this great time that's just for you and only you. Um, it's invaluable. Yeah. I, I had a friend, I was like talking to her and at one point she's like, I'm just going to have to cut you off. And I was like, in that, like in the moment hurt my feelings so bad, but getting that boundary, like get that gate dropped on your ass. Like you're like, okay, fuck. I got to pay somebody to hear this shit, <laughs> but like I laugh, yeah. but like, it's real. Like, um, yeah, if you can make it happen, definitely, definitely do that. Cause your friends at a certain point, they're, they only have a, a certain amount of capacity, um, to show up for you and hold that space. And so like, if you need more than what they can hold, that's why there's therapy. So Alex, yeah. I wanted to hear about your experience. Oh, just with like, how with you, life. yeah, everything, whatever you want to say. With life being um, so hard, how do you deal with your I was painful curious about, heart? like, is that a Bruce Springsteen song? 12 step and how you navigate that and stuff like that. Hungry heart. And like, yeah, unless you have other stuff you want to talk about. No, I can talk about 12 step. I think it's, it's a good place to go because, um, a lot of it's super overwhelming. Like traditional therapy can be really hard. And people often ask themselves, like, if they're at a point, like, do I need therapy? And you can like literally Google it. I know this is, I mean, I used to Google, am I gay all the time? And it turns out I'm gay. Uh, if you're at that point and you're wondering, you probably do need to go to therapy. <laughs> so, uh, wait, did you find out by Google? I did. I got the quiz. Google was like, yes, Alex White, 100%. It like takes a scan of you. It's like, 100% gay. <laughs> 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 but yeah, just talking about program and as being like a, a there are so many different programs. There's um like uh, sexual sex and intimacy disorders. There's Narcotics Anonymous. There's Alcoholics Anonymous. There's Al-Anon for family members. Al-Anon also kind of bridges this group of like if you're dealing with mental health problems and family members with mental health problems too. There's like this Venn diagram of like drugs and alcohol and mental health disorders that we're all dealing with in Al-Anon. 
And uh, I feel like those are a really good place. It's free. You look on Zoom, like alanon.org, and you can find a meeting literally any hour of the day, anywhere in the world, and just check it out. Like it's it's so easy. You can go off camera and just listen to what people are saying and see if it resonates with you. So I just think that that's like one of the most free, uh, like low barrier to entry. If you need to like get, I don't know, try it out right now, like this minute, like right after you're done with this podcast, you're like, I need, you know, I need help. (laughs) Those are always on. And, um, yeah, you don't have to uh, necessarily, um, be an addict or alcoholic to go into a meeting. You can be, an observer. There's a thing that you can click that's called an observer click. And as long as the meeting allows observers, you can go to any of them. Yeah. But yeah, like you can also be a partner of an observer. Partner of an observer. (laughs) You can. Yeah. Um, but personally, yeah, I was like, or you can be that guy from fight club, (laughs) which is the guy from fight club. (laughs) The who's Tyler Durden's real guy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. 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 But see, in therapy, you are supposed to you're talk supposed about to talk. it, which is so awesome. Al-Anon, you're not supposed to talk about Al-Anon, but I'm going to talk about it a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think I, ca- I came to it at a bad point. Uh, I uh, So um, my ex-husband was an addict and he like left. I don't know if this will go in the pot or not, but um, there was all these guns in my house because he's also a gun nut. And I was having uh, suicidal idealization. Ideations. Thank you. So I just kept thinking, like, I couldn't get myself out of it. I called everybody I knew. I probably called Chris and I probably called Ashley. Like, I everybody I knew, I was, like, trying to, like, figure out what the fuck to do. I went, tried to go surfing. I felt miserable. Like, so this was, like, 48-hour slump. I couldn't take care of my kids. Uh, he had just left. So it was, like, a really trauma. And and going back to what Ted said earlier, like, uh, I had a friend come over, um, get rid of the guns, and, like, kind of cut me off right when I was in that mode. And I think it really did, like, save my life. Wow. Yeah. Can I just put in one note about, and I don't know if this will also make the pod, but like there's so much right now we're seeing with all the recent losses in the skateboard community and people who have died by suicide is that the common like check in on your friends and here's the hotline. And I just want to say like to Ted's point of like if you're about to be in crisis, it takes like a while to get help. And it's really hard, especially when you're anxious, you're dealing with anxiety, depression, and you're being triggered and you're in an episode it's going to almost be impossible for you to get the help that you need. And it's really hard for your friend to step in and understand what help you get to need. And then all the barriers in front of you. So do the maintenance beforehand. And if someone is in crisis that you're seeing them, calling a hotline is a solution, but it is not the necessarily the best action to get um, the help that's clearly needed, which is probably a consistent form of therapy and figuring out what's going on deeper there. So again, like, that's the biggest resource if you can help someone in that situation, figuring out if the money, if the entry to barrier is the money, like can your friend group rally around that person? Can you help them figure out how to navigate that website that can help decide that's $30 a session? Um, there's just like, can you step in in that way with solutions? Um, those seem to be like really proactive ways that we don't have enough information to help people get out there. Also, I will say, uh, I got super pissed at somebody on Twitter who made the assumption that people don't call those hotlines. Of course, it's it feels a little thoughts and prayers to say to just post that number up, but uh, people do call those hotlines, uh, and I have called them, and uh, they are uh, not in not in a crisis episode, but in in the weeks leading up to them, and they can be uh, very helpful of stopping that. Um, 
that kind of downward spiral of uh, depressive thought. So just for the record. Yeah, I think that's good. Um, let's let's talk a little bit about, you know, small scale interventions. You know, I was thinking from our last episode, you see the way that, you know, right wing ideologues kind of weaponize the language of structure and discipline in a very, you know, bootstrappy way. Um, it's really easy to dunk on. It's super fucking lame. But I think that, you know, we can all agree that having some discipline and structure right now, especially during COVID, when, again, you just feel more powerless than ever before and you just feel like you're in free fall and you have no idea what the future holds. Um, you know, it's, it can be really helpful, these little small scale interventions. And I've kind of noticed that a lot of my friends and me included have kind of built out these little, uh, routines or, you know, for me, it's a curb that I'm tending to almost like a garden. Um, I've noticed that Ted Barrow has been doing the 10 before 10. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about those practices, you know, from people who maybe are feeling like, oh, I don't necessarily need therapy, but, I wake up every day and I scroll on my phone first thing in the morning and it puts me in a terrible mood or, you know, I'm having trouble with, you know, uh, my mental health late at night. And I, you know, I sit on my phone till real late at night and it makes me feel like shit. I mean, you know, not well, enough. Cause they didn't buy GameStop stock. <laughs> Jesus read it. <laughs> this is going to be really funny to listen to that joke. Whatever. Two weeks from now. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. Whatever it's going to hold up. Happened, has happened. So yeah, my I don't jokes, know. Uh, my jokes are evergreen. <laughs> Kristen, you want to, uh, you want to talk about what, what little small scale interventions you you've made throughout this, uh, uh, the, the pandemic to kind of help with your mental health. Yeah, definitely. Um, I first want to just say, uh, being a part of skate like a girl for the last eternity. Um, uh, and I would say about maybe I'd say right about when I transitioned to being paid staff, I got a, my first job with skate like a girl was being an AmeriCorps member, um, through up to us sports. And one of the things you do when you're an up to us sports like coach is they send you to this training and it's all about trauma informed coaching. And basically what that means is ensuring that all kids, regardless of their life experiences, can come and feel loved and welcomed and a part of something. And one of the key tenets of what we learn at this training is about giving every kid an opportunity to matter. And that's something as simple as like giving a kid the responsibility of turning on the lights in the gym when you walk in or when they come in, not just ignoring them and sitting on your phone, but being like, hey, I see your, you know, Angry Birds shirt. Like, you play Angry Birds? What's up? Like, and, you know, giving them a responsibility or giving, you know, giving them purpose, basically, and showing them that they belong here. And so I think as an adult, that's something, especially during, like, quarantine and spending way more time alone. <laughs> um, uh, and not as, I'd say, less so being able to cover up my feelings with badges of, you know, performance or accolades right um being by myself and yeah I just wanted to speak to like one main thing that's really supported me which is just um maintaining a routine you spoke to like getting up the morning and just sitting on your phone um I have a routine every morning I get up and I make a warm beverage that gets me out of bed every morning so if you anybody out there wants to try it you I dare you to not touch your phone while you're in bed and just go straight to making a warm beverage coffee tea whatever you want I lay out my mat, turn all the lights off. I light some candles 
and I start my day with like a little meditation or stretching, whatever I'm kind of feeling. Um, and that like pretty much every day sets me off because I notice my anxiety will like peak in the morning and then like at night as well. So the night I've kind of a reverse thing where I drink some tea at night, turn the lights down, less phone time and slowly make my way to bed. Um, so yeah, just having that meditation um, and that like time for myself um, has been really good. Just like maintaining that routine, I'd say. Candles in the morning is impressive. Yeah. That's really going yeah. for it. Yeah. yeah. I'm proud of you. That's wonderful. What, Alex, what do you got? Uh, I'm going to just be the spokesperson for the fellowship. I read daily readers, <laughs> which are just these like little books that have uh, like, you know, and you know, step one is powerlessness. So we're in month one, January. So everything's kind of related to your powerlessness for the whole month of January. And every day there's a different reader. So uh, I end the day every day with, a daily reader that's great ashley you want to go yeah um i'm nursing a knee injury so i can't do the one thing that keeps me kind of sane which would be skateboarding but walking has become my new best oh my friend. god me I too to <laughs> amazing huh what was that uh, me too walking First is incredible time in my life incredible. walking is yeah. really good for you i get up like kristen and i make a warm beverage that is my motivation um and then i get out the door and walk and explore golden gate park or to the beach and for me walking is kind of that space where I get to put in headphones, be with my music, be with myself, and uh, just kind of take that time that I need there. And also just the exercise that comes with it and the meditative steps that come with walking. The other one has been like some self-guided work um, and healing work through books. And some books that are great is Your Body Keeps Score. And then Kristen, this is to you. You've always like kind of reminded, check in with people um, when you feel like you don't matter. And reach out to them. And so often I feel really isolated. I'm sure most people do right now, especially under the circumstances. New to a city, it's really hard to make connections right now. We're not traveling. It's it's like, you know, we're, we've been in this process for about a year. I forget that I can just call someone and talk to them about anything and check in. And more often I'm getting more from listening to them than when I was hoping to be heard. And so I've been really trying to practice that and not feel so isolated and disconnected and reach out and just like let people like have a platform to talk to me and um, but host that conversation. So I encourage people when they just kind of feel awkward and weird and lonely and or all the emotions that come up and that just send a text, send a call, um, see what happens. It's pretty fulfilling. And thank you for reminding me of that, Kristen, because that's been a big part of my sanity this last year. Dude, it's probably my favorite thing when I get a random call. I don't expect a call. Someone just calls me. Yeah, I know, I know that for a lot of people that makes them incredibly anxious, but I, I am I am very much in that. Uh, I'm just going to hit you with a FaceTime right now. Uh, wow. We're going we're we're to video I, chat. I live for it, Ryan. <laughs> I, I live for it. Yeah. I do I love not a random fuck Ryan with FaceTime. FaceTime. Just thought I'd say that. <laughs> it, yeah, I, you know, I, 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 uh, I, I also really feel like... Uh, Walking and having long phone calls are a really great pair, you know, obviously, but it's a really good way to escape the monotony of kind of just scrolling on your phone, I think, um, because you don't really, f I feel like if you're sitting, you feel much more compelled to do that. But I notice that if I go on walks, even work that I need to do on my phone is much easier to do if I'm walking, you know, like some phone yeah. calls I need to make yeah. or something. I'm not going to mindlessly scroll for 30 minutes while I'm walking. But yeah, I, I hated walking. You're going to mindlessly stroll. <laughs> yeah. See what I did there? <laughs> I, I couldn't stand walking prior to uh, 2020, and uh, it's definitely become kind of a newfound passion for me. 
Ted, uh, Ted, what do you got? You're you're a man who's known for his structure and uh, discipline. I told my sister-in-law, um, she was like, how's your new job? When do you wake up? And I was like, I wake up every day at 8.30 in the morning. And she was like, oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> so uh, among other things. Um, Which is funny because if you're an old friend of yours, I think that that's quite the accomplishment that you wake up at 8.30 every morning. Yeah. Regardless, um, I don't do morning routines. Um, I don't do night routines. Just like regular. You do skateboard routines. I do. I'm a. I'm a. I'm. I'm just like a. I'm a creature of compulsion. Like I usually between on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday between one and four a.m. I'm doing something. Uh, so yeah, I try to make sure that like. I'm I'm as uh, uh, I'm as uninhibited as possible when compulsion strikes me. So usually, I skate at midnight because I get the feeling to, uh, and I find that to be very very helpful. Becker says that anxiety stems from the inhibition of organic movement, which is what we teach children to do. We tell them not to jump on sheets, and they learn. Oh my God, I can't just do as I please, and that's when repression and anxiety starts. Anyways, I don't know if he's right. Seems to be though. Uh, so I find that following my compulsions is very helpful. Uh, I don't have too many kind of damaging ones to other people. So I, I try to make sure that like, if I feel like playing guitar, which I often do very badly, I don't play with a metronome. I just kind of follow that through. So I do that all the time. Playing scales while you watch TV is very, uh, is very helpful. Um, especially if you've seen new girl, maybe five or six times through it's great. Doesn't get old. Nick Miller's a wonderful character played by an actor named Jake Johnson. But yeah, I I don't really have a structure for 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 feeling better. Obviously long phone calls help, but making sure that like you don't repress the moments or or the impulses you have to excite yourself. So it's like, you know, if I've just been laying down for too long, like I can't some people can get in bed earlier than they need to sleep, which is very hard for me to do. So it's making sure that like, if I've been laying down for two hours and I don't really feel like going to sleep that I go skate or I go into my yard. Um, and I just like, you know, just fucking do shit. Um, and <laughs> do some cartwheels. And, and, yeah. And making sure that you don't kind of like go three days without skating. That fourth day is a real, real emotional roller coaster. Um, and then, uh, yeah, the, I mean, I don't really have any good good mechanisms, but I found that the things that give me purpose are constantly um, developing closer, more vulnerable, more meaningful relationships uh, with my friends and uh, with uh, my partner. And um, dogs are very, like, if you feel like shit, get a dog. Like, it gives you purpose. Like every day you have to feed them. You have to give them sardines. You have to give them Valley fever medication and gabapentin (laughs) and, uh, amoxicillin and she's on prednisone. So you have to, those things are timed out. You have to continue to, to operate. And, uh, so yeah, those things are good, but I, yeah, I don't know. I skate Ryan's curb. It's not that good. It's made of this chalky kind of concrete that, that won't, I, I don't suggest doing that. I like a metal curb. That's it. Ryan, tell us about your curb you've been tending. We're going to have to get Kristen's uh, final approval when uh, she comes and visits. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah I'll be the deciding vote. 
I, I realized the thing with the curb in the park is that I just love... Uh, this episode's going to come out before the Trevor one, so it's going to be a little disjointed, but uh, I I built or I waxed that curb and fixed it up because there was just overflow at the skate park. And I realized that I just really love hanging out at public parks like all day and can spend literally four to five hours there and play basketball, work out, do some work on my phone, read a book. And that's a really helpful way to just, you know, literally escape the house. Um, but there's something a little, you know, about stewardship and kind of like tending to something and making sure that it stays good for the people who also skate it and that people are excited about it. And I brought a pipe there. I was really excited about that. The city took the pipe. I want to go sue the city now. Um, <laughs> but it's really fun because you like make these small little interventions and i just noticed that you make a curb skatable and suddenly like termites there's just six skaters skating there and no one at the skate park but everyone's just like "Ooh, a new thing it grinds and it'll you know grind up my truck in a way that makes me look cool when i hang out at the skate shop um and so yeah i don't know it's just it's really fun and i you know infamously like hated curb skating prior to this year also and uh it's opened up kind of a newfound love and I do garden, um, and that's a really helpful thing for me. There's just, again, there's a little bit of accountability. If I don't, you know, put the freeze cover over, they're going to die. If I don't water them, they're also going to die. Uh, they're probably just going to die regardless because I don't know how to garden. Um, but those <laughs> things are, uh, yeah, they're really helpful, you know. Um, and seeing things progress, you know, I think that that's really helpful right now because it just feels like, you know, everyone says this all the time, but it's just like we're moving through this incredibly fast period, but also time feels still and it feels like it's been forever and you just can't really figure out which one is which um, or you can't really figure out which is uh, which it is. But um, yeah, I don't know. Those things have been really helpful for me. And then also uh, walking and just like long distance hiking has really helped me deal with a lot of shit that I've been having to go, you know, process for from a a lot of years of just, you know, instability. Like I think that for, for a lot of people this year has been a, a real reckoning, which probably record number of people going to see therapists for that reason. It's like, you have way more time alone. You don't have friends and sometimes you don't have work to insulate that. And so it's just tough, you know? Um, but those have been helpful for me. I find that value neutral exercises are are very good for uh, dealing with issues of time, like like you know playing music, but not because you're going to make a song out of it, or because you're going to be a musician, or doing a puzzle, or collecting toys, or things that like don't contribute, things that don't make a product for other people, but that just preserve a practice for yourself. Those are good things. Because they kind of they kind of remove this commodification of passion that we have internalized through through our through being subjects of a of a capitalist death cult. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that seems like a, a good place to wrap things up. Um, I don't, Did I don't we know. talk about how Henry skated to "Roses Are Fallen" by Orville Peck? We alluded to it on an episode. No, talk about Remember it. Remember when we like joked about it, like on episode two or three, where. Or was it just you and me talking, Ted? I don't know if we did, but 
I know we've had an Orville Peck conversation. I, mean, I love Orville Peck. But Didn't you get to interview them for Thrasher? No, no, no Thrasher oh, did. I thought, I but thought you got I, to do I, it. I did. Thrasher's this. Thrasher's my boss. Yeah. Uh, he's really cool. Um, he gets to do all the fun stuff. No, uh, I would just like to have this out in the universe. I think that there's something so, so heartbreakingly beautiful about parts that seem as though they they'll, they'll preserve themselves in light of tragedy. Um, and uh, the song "Roses Are Falling" by Orville Peck is is a tremendous uh, country ballad, and that that Henry ha- has that part uh, preserved in in the Santa Cruz video. It's it's really powerful and it's really tragic uh, to watch it now. But but had that had that been any other thing or or Dylan's um, part to um, what the fuck is that guy's name? his name is Graham something fucking. You know the Graham better day song mm-hmm. doesn't matter it? when you when you have those parts with those like overwhelmingly sad and beautiful kind of dynamic songs. I think it's it's a really great gift that should be revisited often. Graham Nash. Graham Nash. That's a fucking guy. Not Graham Parsons of the Birds. I was thinking of Graham Coxon from uh, the, the from Blur. He has a song called Jamie Thomas. Look him up. <laughs> Sick. Yeah, uh, Ryan, I don't know if you've done any research on into walking, but it's like really, really good for you. <laughs> Is that what the uh, research says? It concludes. A, it's like really, really good for you. <laughs> it's really, really good for you. I'll back it because <laughs> I feel amazing. I'm like addicted to walking. That's dangerous. So. Yeah, we should get you an uh, AA, yeah. Ashley. I, I did that for probably like the first six months of COVID, and then I started skating a bunch, and now I've just been a- addicted to skating again, but... Yeah. I was like walking at least 10,000 steps every day. That was my goal. And uh, 10,000 pumps. Yeah, but now. it's really good. F- yeah. Uh, it's really good for you because it's athletic. And obviously, you're absorbing the surroundings around you. And a lot of times, you're walking in nature and it's beautiful and stimulating and stuff like that. Way, much, way better than staring at a screen, obviously, for that matter. But also, it being a physical activity that also doesn't spike cortisol. Cortisol is like a stress hormone that activates when we do anything more aggressively physically active. So walking is really great because it's like physically active, um, but also not uh, stress inducing. So there's a reason why you probably feel more calm or able to do work or things like that. Um, So any activity that doesn't spike cortisol. So those are things like yoga or um, walking, like mellow um, workouts. Um, Yeah. And I also wanted to speak to your point, Ted, about um, how like whatever we choose to do, maybe think about it from a lens of like just something that's fun or that like we want to do and not that it's something to like show off or like achieve that you can just do something like, and there's no, you know what I mean? Cause I think a lot of yeah, people will like pick hobbies yeah. based off of that. Like if they and can so like I just Etsy wanted to, it or something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They can sell it or they can share it yeah, or just whatever. So easily people can be like, Yay. Yeah. Exactly. And I, I would say every interaction is commodified at this point from social media to friend groups to interact, you know, like everything can be commodified. Everything's, it feels like a transaction. Right. Yeah. So, um, it's really beautiful to find something that like, it's really not for anyone else. It's only for you. Yep. And so I think that speaks to like our earlier point and like giving yourself an opportunity to matter, giving yourself, uh, the ability to feel powerful in control of something very small and that's you and how you spend your time. And so whether that's like doing something for the community, something outward or doing something like, you know, in the morning when you wake up or what you read or whatever makes you feel good, um, yeah, I think it's like you get to decide what that is and you have power and control over that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I mean, and again, to, to, to reiterate what we were talking about earlier, it's like 
this is this massive mental health crisis that we're witnessing right now is the result of everything being a transaction, you know, and the reason it's so hard to be vulnerable with your friends, your loved ones, your, even your partner is because that, that transaction it's, it's like competition is, is baked into the system. And I mean, you know, just to share a story, I, uh, I was walking around two nights ago and I was, had heard the news about Henry and it, I had heard a couple of days prior, but, um, you know, it really hit me like a ton of bricks and I just was, was sobbing walking around and I really ashamed to tell my partner, um, not really sure why I just didn't really feel comfortable crying in front of them. And, uh, I came in and you are a big, strong man. <laughs> yeah. And I came in and, uh, and she was crying, uh, over an entirely different thing. <laughs> and then we cried together and, uh, you know, she's trying to pass boards right now and she's just very overwhelmed by the, the, the prospect of spending a lot of money and not finishing and what that will do, you know, for her career prospects. And yet, you know, um, it's just, yeah, it's just tough and it's not natural. And like the parting message that I want to leave with people is that like, it's not your fault. Like <laughs> This is just, again, it's a symptom of the system that we live in and, it's, you know, it's, it's upon us to just figure out how to get out of it, but it, we're all going through this together. Everyone, even your, your favorite pro skater that is, you know, looks like they're living their dream life. They're also going through it too. Um, yeah. So on that note, uh, Ashley, would you like to give us a trick suggestion that is somewhat easier than a no comply 180 to 50 <laughs> How did you do it? Did you did it good. so good. Damn it. it took me like an hour. I, I, and I ate shit I, a bunch. <laughs> it was tough. Dude, I I don't I realize I don't know comply 180 with any height. Sweet. It is all with. I think for latecomers <laughs> who maybe want some suggestions, I would suggest trying it on a curb that is the bottom of a stair set so that you have kind of a guide to that that second set will force you into the 50-50. And also, you won't get thrown around into a back lip. That was the thing that kept happening to me. I and kept I, I kept doing that too. I filmed too, Ted yeah. tonight, and he did it out about 30 times, <laughs> is that you do a 270 to back lip. Um, but yeah, it's pretty tough. But Ashley, what uh, what do you got for a trick suggestion? This was not um, brought up as part of the criteria for <laughs> being on the show. Yeah. And as long as I've listened, now I finally get my moment, and I can't think of anything. <laughs> Um, can I popcorn pass it to Alex? Because Alex and I love skateboarding, the same obstacles and same things. So really curious what's on your mind over you're, there. Alex. You're you like the guest. I'm just... Now, we're going to get to the bottom of this, <laughs> Ashley Rayfeld. What trick? There's no passing. Is your challenge. No well, let's, I'm into doing a, a blunt... Because I actually have been trying to just straight up blunt slide a curb lately. Perfect. So what, back blunt. That, we haven't done back blunt, have we? Love backside it. blunt? Ground, another, yeah, I don't think we've done backside blunt. That's a good one. Yeah. I actually would love this. Uh, also, shout out to Trevor, another uh, ground-based skater out there. A groundhog. <laughs> ground-based. <laughs> groundhog, if <laughs> you will. Oh, that article, Groundhogs, Kristen. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm writing this down. But let's do let's, let's do back blunt uh, for the trick challenge. And if people want an advanced trick challenge, let's do back blunt front shove. The ninety front shove. There we are. Back Ted, do you think you got Ew. that? Kristen, you got that? <laughs> but I don't know. I, I I would be hyped to do back blunt big spin. 
But that's probably too easy for you guys. Can it be a medium no, trick challenge? Big spin's a good one. Let's do back blunt big spin. Okay. That sounds great. I, I call it the Nora special. Okay. So back blunt or back She's blunt got big that spin. Trick. Yeah, she doesn't want like banks and shit, but I feel like yeah. Shout out Nora, sick part. Yeah. yeah. Such a gem. Oh yeah. It's so bold to put that shit out after Sodi season two. <laughs> She's just starting Sodi <laughs> season now for twenty twenty one, folks. <laughs> that's true first she's in first line. in line if we read the well, article today no she's number one i think hawaii's she's back at time dude, that zone, would be so it might still be there <laughs> hey it would be funny alex to do like the standings <laughs> like an updated at the end of like each month snacks, like we just run a 10 top 10 and yeah like <laughs> yeah an updated ranking system and then you just tally the points at the end all right well see. Kristen, you've got hardcore music to talk about with your bandmates um, I'm imagining you just all actually we're canceling recording. Oh, okay, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. Can I just say that Punitive Damage is an amazing band name? It is. Perfect Thank band you. name. Yeah. Just, just a just a perfect band name. I just I love that it kind of sounds badass, but the, there's a shortened version that also works. Puny D. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. It's weird how one is is on the on the most aggressively hardcore side and on the on the exact same in, in the same band it, it's it's the complete polar opposite of the most like emasculated uh feeble uh sad thing i respect it PDD. i respect the the dynamism thanks man well uh well done everybody yeah Ash- ashley thank you so much for joining us such a treat uh we hope that everyone yeah. out there is, you know, getting through it. And hopefully this is helpful in, in some way. Uh, reach out to, I'm going to just put this on the line. Reach out to any one of us through a DM yep. if you want, yep. um, yeah. please. Yeah. And uh, I'm like super interested specifically if people are like, I don't know how to even look for a therapist or I don't like, I'm super down to do that. Yeah. Same. Don't like, email help, the show. It takes a long time to check those. That's a, yeah, that, definitely do that, not email the show. Ted that, <laughs> Ted checks the email, so that, just go straight to DMs really of any cast member. Contact. <laughs> yes. The, the ways in which you've built discipline over the pandemic, checking the email once every two months. <laughs> okay. On that note, uh, let's call it a night. Uh, thank you all, and we'll see you in a couple weeks. Bye-bye. Intro music is by the wonderful band Roar. Our credits music, as always, by the wonderful, the talented Dylan Bryan, naivetracks.bandcamp.com, and our logo and graphic design is by Michael Warfel. Not one more word tonight between Ahead, unless you're Brian Higgins or Lars Garvey Lang Peterson, those who give enough to get my totally unhinged hokey jokey songs for Sean Doyle. I will start an account. And 
fill it with uplifting quotes and requests Your last known email address Get up! I really fuck it up! Whoa.